Well, I was pretty meandering conversation. We touched on a lot of different things. Yeah, we mostly stayed on topic too, so that was good. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Creative Ops, a podcast for creative people by creative people. I'm your host, Christopher Talon. A writer and podcaster and a little bit of a musician, I suppose, too. One thing I used to do, teach. I taught middle school for several years. Did that come out like a word? <laughs> several years. And I talked to a friend of mine. His name is Drew. Well, his name is Andrew Smith. We know through his brother from whom I've been hanging out with since like middle school. And as we got older, we got to know each other. Andrew and I both went into teaching. He taught high school. I taught middle school. And neither of us do it anymore. <laughs> So I thought, let's uh, have a conversation between two people who thought they wanted to do something and found out it wasn't quite what they thought or life changed and it was no longer accommodating to work in that profession anymore. It was good to talk to him and get to hear about his teaching experiences because I didn't know a lot of the things that we talked about today. We've commiserated together about our woes a little bit in the past, but nothing this focused and in depth. So this was fun. For anybody out there who's thinking about being a teacher, knows a teacher, is a teacher, or ever had a teacher... I think you'll be able to relate. <laughs> so that's uh, that's most of us. Should be, hopefully, all of us. I hope you guys enjoy this one with my buddy Drew. Just a couple ex-teachers talking about the good, the bad, and what we miss, and why we left, and everything in between. Enjoy the conversation between me and Andrew Smith. You guys do an internship, then a student teaching, or is your internship? Well, no, it, it's essentially the same thing. Uh, but the at MSU, it was a full year long, whereas the state only requires a semester. So some like most of the programs in the state, I think it's only a semester long. Yeah, mine was teaching. Yeah, so I I did a full year at at Lansing Eastern, and that's a little bit different from the school you went to, just as far as the. The student body, like demographically, right? Yeah, I went to a Catholic school, so it was um, it was a pretty uh, pretty different experience. Lansing Eastern was very diverse. Um, we had kids from all over the country uh, or all over the world, I should say, um, that uh, that uh, came, ended up in Lansing. So, um, so, so yeah, it was dynamic from that perspective. So. I'm curious because I, well, the school that I did my student teaching at, they had a decent ESL program, um, but not the best one in the area. So there was help, but there, most of the kids that like really needed help went to, I think, I think it's Kentwood or East Kentwood has a really like state renowned recognized program. Um, but I worked with one set of twin boys who were from brazil spoke no english and the esl teacher was like i don't even know where to begin because these guys know zero english so we're like doing our best to like give them great appropriate 
basically just worksheets that we found online, hoping that this is like, you know, great appropriate in their own language so that they don't lag mentally. And then also trying to like stimulate them with like learning English. But you taught like whole sections of kids. Yeah. So I, I, I knew that I would be teaching that, that one of the sections that we had um, was, was ESL. That's all I really knew going into the first day. Um, my mentor teacher had never taught ESL before. Which is, I don't know if you said English as a second language. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, this was the first time that there was a full sections worth of kids, basically, that didn't, you know, speak English in the home. And so they decided the best way to handle that, the, like the, the general policy for general ed classes, like I was teaching social studies. So in most kids that didn't speak English at home, they would just, you know, be in a regular, you know, regular section. Um, but because they happen to have like this large number of, of uh, kids that were in their freshman year, even though they were like different ages and stuff because they'd come over at different times. Um, but they, they put all the, these kids that uh, didn't speak English together in one section. So I think we had like 19 kids and like, I would say maybe three or four of them like came in on the first day and could like speak in full English sentences. And the rest uh, had been, like were basically starting at level zero, and um, many of them were from had like their previous stop before they came into uh, the U.S. was in a refugee camp. So a lot of them weren't even necessarily like literate in their own languages. Yeah. And we had uh, out of the 19 kids, it was probably like eight or nine different languages. Like there were, there were a few of them from Burma, um, several from Somalia and uh, Tanzania and a few other uh, countries in Africa. Uh, one from Honduras, a few from the Middle East, uh, one from Argentina, or Argentina uh, Afghanistan and then one from uh, Iraq. So it was just like, I mean, all over the globe um, came with completely different experiences and like we were completely had no idea what to do on the, I was the gonna say all you can really do is just kind of be like let's just get these guys in front of as much English as we can and hopefully they'll catch on to it yeah I remember we had the brilliant idea my mentor teacher had the brilliant idea we would reserve the computer lab for one of the first uh, days as part of the second or third day that we had everybody together and um, we would have them do some assignment where they would use Google Translate to do something. Mm. And then we got down there and it was, that's when we realized, so Google Translate at that time probably had like 50 different languages on their you know, drop-down menu that you could choose from. And yeah. like, other, other than the kids who spoke Spanish, um, uh, almost none of the other one, like uh, almost none of the other kids had their actual like main language that they knew. Uh, on Google Translate at that time. It was like they... they and you're also were, relying on them to spell their words correctly. Otherwise, Google's <laughs> just going to be like, I don't know. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was a little bit of a, you know, hot mess or whatever. But we were just like <laughs> trying to figure out what to, you know, what to do. But even, it, it was pretty amazing to see just, I mean, it ended up being over the course of the year, the class became more like a, you know, socialization in the, being a high school student kind of class, you know, more than anything else. Like we talked about geography and, you know, uh, different, we had them uh, 
tell each other, you know, teach each other about what had been going on in their own countries and, and things like that. Because it's a, it's a world history class was was supposed to be the topic, but we we were teaching an honors world history section alongside this ESL course. And you know, technically speaking, from like the state's perspective or whatever, we were supposed to be teaching the same content for those the two two classes. So it was um, it it set me up, uh, you know, to I, I think have a little bit different perspective and, and think a little bit differently about kind of like what we're even doing in you know in a high school classroom really um because yeah it was like like if we had Especially those kids, in an urban setting where the schools probably got its own financial issues and <laughs> and when you're dealing with kids that are coming from a, a, a lower socioeconomic end of things there's all kinds of issues like whether they ate whether they have clean clothes whether they have yeah one even loving parent and just yeah then throw yeah. in a class a class full of kids that don't speak any english and like come from war torn countries into the mix on top of that that's quite a uh... <laughs> yeah one one thing that really surprised me about the school though um you know it it had you know all those things that you said were were definitely true and there were there were you know there were fights in the hallways and things like that but like one thing that i was struck by kind of continually through that experience was there wasn't really like the like bullying culture and like the, the that kind of a the culture of the school that I was used to in like a you know middle upper middle class suburban almost all white high school that I came from yeah, like, yeah. There, there really wasn't like the animosity between different different groups like when there were fights it was like between two like generally speaking like two kids that were from you know similar backgrounds or whatever like it was there wasn't like um i guess the uh, a huge like racial division i don't think but like the the different yeah kind of groups of people kind of just kept to them kept to their own you know thing that di didn't uh so that was one kind of thing that kind of surprised me just the culture of the school that there wasn't like well that's what i've heard too from like our friends that went to that high school they were like yeah, yeah man it was you know there was a lot of diversity in terms of like there was black kids there was white kids there was asian kids there was mexican kids there was kids from you know other countries and mm -hmm. but like it was kind of like yeah the black kids for the most part kind of hung out over here the white kids kind of hung out over here the asian kids kind of hung out over there yeah yeah that was just uh not something that i would have expected i guess yeah you know it makes sense though because if there are groups of people um who are willing to like be like if you have a problem dude we'll fight like there's probably not going to be as much bullying because like you said those schools i think that culture kind of depends on like everybody is for the most part trying not to get in trouble and do what they're told and like you know 90 percent of the people that you bump shoulders with are just going to be like hey man <laughs> yeah yeah i get and it it yeah leads to all this you know the the interior drama i guess of of, of high school i did just it, there wasn't as much of that but it, there was an it, you know the dynamic of the like 245 uh hallway fight was was also like something that i had never experienced before the, the 245 like my, hallway fight like my, my mentor teacher like generally the end of the day is when when the big fights would would happen when they when they would and like my mentor teacher like he could predict them basically like he could like put his finger up and like, just kind of 
the, the way people were looking around, he knew. Yes, he could tell. He could tell when a fight was coming, like that afternoon. Like he would, he would. So uh, if you saw that to... dude and his eyes got big, were you like, "Who's throwing?" Or, or certain kids started to show up that would only be at school like one day a week or whatever, and and like and it was like, there just to start. The only to... reason that kid's here is because he knows the fight's going down or whatever, like that. <laughs> so that was uh, an aspect of you know the the. Uh, urban uh school that i was i wasn't really prepared for going in i guess yeah yeah no we had a i think a pretty similar background as far as that goes the school that i went to was diverse in terms of like it had a wide range of different ethnicities but it was in very small amounts with like 85 to 90 percent of it being pretty much white so yeah and it was um, like it was like the it was like diverse because of like there was MSU, 13 the kids who would qualify as, yeah, Polynesian. Yeah, like their, their parents were like like MSU professors or something. Yeah, you know, and actually, my school had a lot of kids from India. Well, there a lot of kids who were born in America, but their parents were from India. A lot yeah. of generation kids from India in my school. I'm not sure why. Yeah, I mean, so it was exactly where it was I lived. A different. Yeah, that was like growing up. That was kind of my experience with you know the the. Uh, non-white kids that I, you know, interacted with or whatever was was mostly, yeah, that first first generation immigrant kind of uh, dynamic. Whereas, yeah, at at during my internship year, that it was, yeah, completely different, uh, completely different situation. I mean, we heard some stories from some of these kids that, um, you know, the, the uh, kid from Honduras told us about, you know. The, the trek to the u.s on a um he he didn't really have the words to to describe it but he asked asked us um the word for truck he was asked he was like trying to describe a basically a box truck and, yeah. and then yeah he told us about how he for like a week he was uh he was in the back of a box truck just uh coming up from from honduras to get to the the u.s so it was like yeah, um, a completely different type of uh, experience, I guess, than than <laughs> I was used to, or anybody that I knew was used to. You know, how do you feel like you adapted to that? Because one guy that I taught with um, when I got my first like full on, you're the teacher from the beginning of the year to the end of the year job, was telling me that he went to uh, oh, what's the school that's near Lansing, and they have a big sign that says where the city meets the country. Oh, there's a few that can describe a few. There's like Bath or DeWitt or I don't know. Um, oh, Williamson not, maybe. No, it wasn't any of those. Just a little further out. I think their colors were like kind of reddish, purplish, and they had like a dogma. I can't think of it. It wasn't Langsburg. Was could have been Perry. Who knows? I don't know. Anyway, oh, yeah, all those would describe. Yeah, I think. <laughs> but yeah, we get the picture. One of those guys. Um. And he did his student teaching in Muskegon Public. And he said that, you know, his teacher, like the first week in there was like, hey, I need to go and grab these copies. Can you hold the class for a couple minutes till I get back? And he was like, yeah, sure. She walks out and everybody just gets up, starts walking over to their friends. And he's like, hey, hey, everybody sit down. And then he like uses his man voice. He's like, I said, sit down. A guy turns around, walks up, gets like right nose to nose with him and goes, we don't respect you, bro. And then he turned around <laughs> and walked away kept talking he's just like okay and he just stood there like well the class went amok the teacher came back i'm sure the teacher did it on purpose too 
<laughs> like, just so you know, don't question anything I say because you will die without me. Yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely told to, you know, uh, fuck off a few times or whatever. Like, uh, but but I guess it was my my mentor teacher's basic outlook was just like, hey, if you treat them with respect, then they'll generally return the favor to an extent, like to the extent that they can or whatever. Like if they're going through some stuff, like, you know, yeah. anything can happen or whatever. But for the most part, you're not going to be, you know, viewed as, as something to constantly mess with or whatever. If you aren't <laughs> yeah. an asshole to the kids, basically, yeah. but if you try to power trip, then then, yeah, or if you cry in front of them, if you cry in front of them once, you're you're done. No, no. Yeah, respect. yeah, definitely, definitely not that. So, so I guess that's kind of just the the outlook that I took uh, into it. And then, in my professional teaching uh, later on in my career, being at a you know back to a similar type of dynamic to that where I went to high school, where it was you know upper middle class, almost all white. It was one thing that struck me was that that, you know, give respect, get respect did not seem to uh, uh, be as, uh, I guess, uh, helpful a strategy in that, in that environment. I don't think uh, kids would take it, you know, they, they saw that as a, a weakness, you know, you do have to power trip, I think a little bit more uh, yeah, a, a lot of bit. times with those with, you know, yeah, the, the suburban uh, set. So some of the best teachers I've ever seen, I was like, hey, you know, what advice do you have for me? I start my student teaching whenever, you know, when you're doing all the things. And they're like, um, regardless what kind of setting you're in, you kind of have to be mean to the kids for the, at least a week until they kind of realize who the boss is. Then you can open it up and be really nice. But if you start really nice, it's going to be really hard. Oh, yeah. Definitely the the like what you described you don't want to it, it, once you go to once you go overboard and being too accommodating or whatever then it's it's a million times harder to go yeah. go take it you know take it back reel it back in or whatever so that, that's definitely uh but would, you 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 did all or at least mostly high school right I only, yeah, when I, when I subbed, I subbed in middle schools every once in a while. Um, I, I did a, a year of substitute teaching, but um, my internship was all in high school. Um, and then in the, when I taught for five, four years, uh, it was all, all high school teaching. And generally, um, it was more I, I on the upper, upper. What's that? I don't think I could do that because the, the high school kids, they're more apathetic I think just in general, so oh, it's harder sure. to get them interested. But like the middle school kids, you can run like I kind of used my military background, I guess, a little bit when oh, I was yeah. trying to get a class to like do what I say when I say it. I'm like, you, I need you to do this. And if they're not like sure thing, you know, and just immediately go do it. I'm like, all right, whole class, stand up. Okay, whole class, sit down. We're not doing it at the same time. And I'll do that until they all move at the same time. Do it when I say it. And you got the kid in the back who's like, oh, this motherfucker. I'm like, waiting on you. And everybody else is like, just do it. <laughs> and then at yeah. that point, once you get them up and down a couple of times, it's like, all right, we're going to try this again. Are you guys ready? And then, yeah, a week of that. And then it's just like, you know, kids are using their little signals for the bathroom instead of yelling, hey, I got to pee. <laughs> yeah, I... I was definitely more more uh, comfortable in the high school environment and uh, 
towards the end of my career, I was mostly Those high schoolers would have told me to go fuck myself if I did that to them, though. Yeah, exactly. I So, like, that... I would feel kind of ridiculous doing that kind of stuff, to be honest. Like, that was not my my thing. I, I was not great at the management side of things. Like, that was definitely the part that... Uh, drained me emotional like mentally and and everything more than anything that's else pretty like, pretty typical yeah like the i didn't i want i i would i would say to kids all the time like i don't want to be a babysitter like don't make me like <laughs> be a babysitter right now like like yeah. just be cool basically was my was and, and yeah i spent my life trying to learn things so that i can show them to you yeah yeah one, one big please don't learned, make me tell you that not to spit on someone yeah, like like uh, the big thing I learned is like the loving your subject matter is great, but it's like not even close to the the most important part of of being a teacher, and like it's not going to sustain you. Like loving your subject matter and you know wanting to you know uh, work do stuff you know stuff relating to uh, a topic that interests you for your for your life is like it's that's not going to be enough to sustain you because it's like yeah you're you're basically constantly fighting this battle especially the history teach history and economics teacher it was like you're constantly fighting this battle just to be like yes this this thing that i find really interesting is like worth your time you know and and it's like so you're constantly dealing with people shitting on the thing that yeah. you like and it's, and it's a thought provoking yeah. it's a thought provoking topic so it's not just something where it's like math where it's like do this and when you're done with it you're done with it it's like no think a little bit yeah and and it was difficult because uh especially at the you know at a suburban school the kids a lot of the kids have a mindset of what you know they had this very transactional idea of of what education is or should be yes. and so you know the math teacher can tell them to do you know do a b and c and you know it's it's you know getting them to uh to a goal even if they think that the you know task itself you know they might not find meaning in it or whatever but you know they're they're doing it to get to something that they that they want eventually uh in the form of you know a scholarship a job a you know uh, uh, admission into a, their college or whatever but yeah. um but it's a lot harder to make case in in a lot of you know social studies uh, classes, you know, um, I certainly think that, they, that these things are, are important and, and, and help, you know, form, uh, uh, human being um, in a meaningful way, but, but that doesn't mean that, uh, it's, it's, it's not necessarily easy to make that case to a 16 year old, you know? Yeah. You know, when you said that whole thing about the transactional part of it, I had, um, a long-term sub job. I did a, a whole semester. And then I also had a couple um, just, you know, recurring jobs with uh, some of the local private schools and stuff. Uh, so I got to see a lot of those students. And I would say you definitely saw a more motivated student group as a whole, but it was almost all, you know, I need to get into the University of Michigan, you know, yeah. like that kind of a mindset. I actually, yeah, I actually had a parent who came at me at a thing, like very upset, very heated. And she was saying, uh, you know, my kid has a, a B and she needs to keep an A average to get into the University of Michigan. I was like, OK, well, first, I, I know you might not like to hear this, but she's 
not a very motivated student in my classroom. She's more interested in who she can find to talk to. And I've tried moving her around and she's just more interested in talking than she is in class. And they're like, well, she said she doesn't understand how to, how to do the assignments. And I said, well, I, I do give explanation because they all have Chromebooks. Actually, no, they all had MacBooks. They all have MacBooks. And so, you know, all, everything that they give turn in gets returned with instruction feedback. She's like, well, she doesn't get that. I opened up my computer. I was like, well, I give it. And I showed her all these mm-hmm. things where I said, here, you can fix this, fix this. Never bothered with it. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing I heard was, uh, hey, we need to, you to come down to the office to talk to the principal and the assistant principal. I was like, ooh, this is going to be fun. I said, uh, we just got off the phone with the superintendent. A uh, parent just called and complained about you. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. You refused yeah, to help her daughter. I was like, okay. Yeah. It's, it, was, it was frustrating to, because, yeah, it was clearly like the, the parents that did, that, that put up the most, you know, hassle, basically, where yeah. like the squeaky wheel got all the attention. So, oh, yeah. Um, so, and administrators yeah, like you're do react to those behaviors further and further. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and unfortunately, yeah, whoever, basically, whoever can complain to the highest, <laughs> highest person in the totem pole first wins. Um, right. I had another story like that too, where I had a, a student, completely different kind of school, a charter school in the city of Grand Rapids that I worked at. I had a student um, was going the wrong way. We were outside, and I was like, "You can't go this way." And they were like, whatever. And they kept going. And I like made the mistake of putting myself in front of them instead of just letting them go and calling the police if they went off campus, you know. And they pushed me out of the way and kept walking. And I was just like, all right, can you keep an eye on this for me a second? I went to the principal, told the principal what happened. He was like, all right, I'm going to take care of that. Didn't take care of it right away. The uh, kid had a cell phone, immediately called, said, I put my hands on them. And then it was them defending against me when I was the person who had the first complaint, but it didn't get where it needed to go first. Then the parents heard yeah. about it, and all of a sudden, I put my hands on a student and pushed them back in line instead of them pushing me <laughs> almost on my ass. Yeah. 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 And then the, the you know, cell phones in the classroom, too, just Nightmare. creates yeah the same type of dynamic like they they know the the kids know how to uh take uh you know clip out of you know out of context or whatever and you know make it mean what they want it to mean or and yeah it was constantly like you're walking on eggshells uh like like I, i remember kids were like I, I, it was always a big thing for, I mean, it was, it was heavily enforced in my school that, you know, it, uh, cell phones shouldn't be, um, th- basically you can have them in your pocket, but you can't do anything with them in the class was, was basically the, the line, but, and it was over the years, you know, got tougher and tougher to enforce basically. And like, I was, there were a lot of different things that like I wasn't going to be a huge stickler on uh, that I was supposed to be uh, when it came to, you know, different, different classroom rules. But I was adamant. I was just as adamant about the technology, you know, about the cell phones and, and uh, other technology as, as the 
most strict teacher, I guess. And, and kids were like confused by that. They're, they're like, you know, why, you know, why does this matter so, so much to you or whatever? And it was like, it was crazy to me that they couldn't see, like, I'm not going to talk to you the same way if I think that any 10 second clip of what I'm saying can be, you know, taken out of context and, and, you know, uh, 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 reproduced somewhere else or whatever. It just, it's, yeah. It's not talking about that teacher in Texas who they had a clip of him beating the hell out of a student. But even, you know what, even that one, um, the full context on that one was that teacher got, well, it was a substitute teacher, I think, got super triggered because this kid was like bullying a special needs kid. And then the mm. teacher just lost their mind because I don't know if they were like unbalanced or if they like had a personal thing where it triggered them. But then they started just grabbing that kid by the hair and punching him in the head. And all you see is this t- teacher goes off on this kid, but it's like you don't see that kid like physically bullying a, a you know mentally handicapped kid. Yeah, and not to not say that, not that any teacher should ever beat the hell out of it or whatever, but but yeah, it's just it 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 creates a completely different power dynamic in the in the yeah. classroom. You know, it it yeah, I hated the the technology in the classroom. Basically, was was made everything more difficult in my my uh mind but it was impossible like you couldn't there wasn't an option to opt out of it you know you couldn't it, well, those, like, you're not teaching kids uh, to live in the world that they that they live in if you're if you're not using technology yeah. so like i see i i understand where it's, it's coming from but yeah i can't imagine doing uh teaching in, in a one-to-one technology type of uh environment i never i i the school that i was at was getting to that point where everybody was everybody was going to require a uh, laptop uh the year after that i I left basically was they were going full one-to-one technology um but before then it was it was just you know becoming more and more a part of the school uh all the time um you know just the expectation of everything being on yeah Um, yeah we'd had meetings where they were like don't try to fight them with the technology. And they're like, there's uh, apps that you can use in the classroom. Like I think there was one called Socratic and kids could mm-hmm. like log in to their, to it with their phones via text. And so then you could be like, all right guys, tell me what you think the answer is to this. And you could like either show it to everybody or not. And then kids could text you the answer instead of like, raise your hand if you think it's this. Cause yeah. you know, some kids are like, well, I just not going to raise my hand at all then. I, I think there's some some interesting uses of technology. There's definitely some ways that it can be leveraged for like good educational purposes. But in general, I found the vast majority of like ed tech stuff to be like grifting nonsense. Like there was yeah. so much of, uh, I mean, that was what was off-putting about, I mean, being in education and wanting to actually like like make a living for yourself like the only way to advance from being a classroom teacher it seems like it was like you know okay you can go the administer administrator uh, track yeah. um but but that was never really you know anything i uh made sense for me but then the the other track seems to be like get out of teaching and and get into like district level like ed tech consulting or something like that or curriculum development or curriculum development or like coming up with some new software program or or you know taking a job with some uh, you know company that that 
developed those sorts of softwares and technologies. And it, it just like, I saw so much of just, just crap, uh, you know, uh, technology, uh, stuff being sold at the, at the district level, um, or, you know, at, at, at that, like, um, at that kind of a level that, that was, was really off, off putting to me as well. It just seemed like we weren't going to get better outcomes out of this technology. If that's like the way that it's like, like the, the way that the system, uh, works, I guess, is to, you know, convince some administrator to, to buy a thousand copies of, of whatever and, and just, you know, make your bank that way. Cause it was so much of it was overlapping technology that, uh, you, you know, it, it really was just about, about the school itself being able to implement things in a certain way, but there weren't, there, there aren't the resources that it's like they're, we're taking more and more of the resources out of that level of, of education where it can actually be implemented in a meaningful way. And mm. instead we're, you know, kind of parachuting in with the, with the, the uh, um, with the, you know, technology program or the, you know, one-to-one -one, uh, devices or whatever, and then not really taking the time to, to implement it in a, in a way that's going to be like useful for the, for the kids. I feel like, you know, it, you know, the big thing with any kind of technology, I think, especially like if you're using it in classroom, whether it's a computer or a phone, is that this guy, um, oh God, I can't think of his name now, but I'll try to link it in the show notes if I can remember to. He had this book called, uh, I think it was called Inspire Create or something like that. But he, um, <clears throat> he invented the, or not invented, created the first um, multiplayer, like massive multiplayer role player game. And mm -hmm. that in the early stages of it, they found that um, there was 5% of the users would only use it to fuck with people to, to be, they didn't have call them mm -hmm. trolls then, but they said, you know, when it was just a couple hundred people, 5% of them were trolls and they would just fuck with everybody else and try to make everyone else have a bad experience. And then it got bigger and bigger. Now it's hundreds of thousands of people still 5% just want to go in there to fuck with people. So you, you know, that that's not going to change in a school setting too. You're going to get kids that are going to like, yeah find a way to try to break a firewall and look at porn or message somebody inappropriately or try to hack into the school, which kids have done. I've seen them do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they can mess with grades. They can like Ferris Bueller, take all their tardies away. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there, there never seems to be as much focus on like the maintenance of these different, uh, you know, well, that shit fails all the time. Too. Kids are supposed to be like, hey, my computer doesn't work. Well, I'll take it to the technology guy. Okay, I'm going to be behind a class now. Bye. Yeah, yeah. It just, and like I had a smart board in my room. I inherited it. It was a few years old when I, when I started. But like, I mean, things were breaking down on it constantly. It was. You always have to recalibrate um, it because it doesn't touch where you're yeah, supposed to. I had to, to recalibrate it every day if I wanted it to actually work. for. The, so by my last year, teaching you know by year four it was like i never basically never used it as a smart board i would sometimes you know i could i could change the slides by by touching my finger to it but that was about the extent of of the smart features that i used because there was there were no resources uh in our, our school to uh, assist us with that couldn't replace parts couldn't um you know the the 
uh, IT, the one IT person for our school was completely overwhelmed and like, you know, like, you're just going to have to print everything out for these kids for a while. You're like, <laughs> yeah. you're print out these like 18 resources that they have available on a click of a link. Okay, great. Yeah. So, so that was, uh, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, uh, yeah, similar type of, uh, experience there. Um, but you said yeah. too, like putting the money into things like that, where, all technology is, you know, that idea of planned obsolescence. If you buy something now that you're really geeked about in five years, you're going to be like dying to get rid of it. And mm-hmm. so putting all that money into those kinds of things doesn't really make sense. Like it's cutting edge. It's exciting to be like, we're the first school in the area. To ha-. But yeah, three years from now, it's going to be garbage and every other school is going to have a better one. And then they also, one thing that blew my mind, regardless of what school it was, what the setting or what kind of students we had was, all those um, pre, like right before the school year starts that they would have you come in and like they would just do like PDs all day, professional developments for people that don't know what a PD is. Almost 85% of those PDs either didn't apply to my content or didn't apply to our student population. Like one of them was like, well, here's how you divide up uh, kids based on talent level. You have eight different tables with four kids and you have the eight most high achieving kids at each one of those tables were like, we only have three kids that are at or above grade level. We're like, well, you know, make do. It's like, okay, so already you lost us. Like, yeah, fifty percent of the class is below grade level. The other twenty five percent are like barely at, and then there's like some that are like just above to doing actually pretty well. Yeah, and uh, the the other thing about PDs was just the the resources. Again, it was it was an example of like you know how resources are allocated in, in, in schools. Uh, I remember walking into a PD at, at the, uh, during my um, student teaching year, and uh, there was a giant binder, probably 100 pages of full color uh, with, you know, tabs inside and like, yeah. fa- you know, fancy yeah. dividers yeah. between each ch- chapter and stuff. Yeah. And one teacher is flipping through this, and they said, this, printing this binder costs the same as my entire print budget for like the semester to print this binder for this worthless PD and this binder is going to be stuck in a, a cabinet somewhere. Just and to know that we had we, our training. <laughs> yeah, and, and, we were, and we were doing that training. We had to do, a, my, the year that I was uh, at uh, doing my student teaching, it was, um, we, we had to do additional training uh, over and above what was you know, state mandated because we were on uh, a list of underperforming schools. And one of the steps on, you know, to avoid a state takeover basically was um, we had to, uh, they actually, we had half days for the students. I think it was four different times over the course of the year. In addition to the regular PD days, we had four days where it was a half day for the students and then the rest of the day we were doing a PD together as the, the teachers. And so you're, t- you're basically taking a classroom day away from the students as when it's a half day and it's, so every class is 25 minutes long or whatever, it's very difficult to get much of anything done in that sort of a time period. And, and just at that school, you know, the, a bunch of kids would just skip a half day, like, you know, so, yeah. so so you're taking away, you know, classroom instruction time for us to be sitting in this room listening to this person, you know, and and 
additional resources that are like obviously it's, it's not coming out of the uh you know somebody would say you know the thing about the print budget or whatever and and the response would be like oh well you know the the school didn't print these or the school didn't have to pay for these to be printed but it's like that money is coming from somewhere there's some but it, it you got this constant sense that like there's not a cohesive network of you know things working towards the goal of educating kids here. There's a bunch of different people kind of like trying to get their own, you know, get their own slice of the pie or whatever. And mm. not, it doesn't, it's not all adding up to, uh, you know, improvement. It was, was the sense well, that I was getting. Like, and depending on the school and how big it is and how the, much the resources are, they'll spend like a million dollars on some like computer automated reading program to use it for like five years and it'll give them some extra data but you mm -hmm. know there's statistics and studies that show that you know those reading programs like i really don't like accelerated reader um which is something they use in elementary schools and some middle schools where basically it's like you get prizes and points and get to have parties and get toys and stuff like that for getting points for reading books but that's you know that whole donkey with the carrot thing and the stick it'll keep mm -hmm. going while you have that carrot on the stick but as soon as somebody says like hey you don't get a pizza hut for going for for reading a book or you don't get to pick from the bin of toys over here or you don't get to be in the end of the year party like nobody's gonna read anymore and the statistics show it there's this massive takeoff when they start doing it and then as soon as those kids get to high school they read less mm -hmm. than the kids who never did the programs so yeah what what i really found what in in my experience teaching was if you want it to be if you want to get that kind of like you know legitimate um buy-in authentic buy-in i feel like um you know it 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 takes a lot of work to come up to find the opportunities to do this we need to just find ways to actually integrate what you're teaching into things that might be you know relevant to the the kids' lives. I remember one of the most, I think, um, meaningful things that I did uh, that that we did in the classroom during my uh, student teaching was my mentor teacher um, taught about the the fact that you know buy a chocolate bar in a in a um, convenience store, it's more than likely that that uh, some of that chocolate was was um, harvested with like basically slavery, like child slavery in a lot of, a lot of places. And um, we, as part of the economics class, he had kids call um, different chocolate companies uh, and basically ask them if they can guarantee that there, that there isn't uh, slavery or um, child labor um, being used in their, in their chocolate bars. And because he knew that they, that, uh, they couldn't say that they would, they would, and they all had a company line on their, um, customer service, uh, uh, thing, well, <laughs> they, 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 all, they all had like the, you know, the company line that they were supposed to say. And basically, you know, they said, well, you know, we do everything that we can to ensure safe working conditions, but in order for us to, um, you know, get, uh, all of our chocolate from, you know, certain countries or whatever, that would raise the price of, you know, of what we're, and and yeah the kids were like really surprised that like e even like the uh the more 
um, it, it wasn't just Hershey's and, and Nestle, the, the huge uh, chocolate companies, but they called like Cliff Bar doesn't doesn't have, uh, you know, they they can't guarantee you that that they're or at least at that at that time they they couldn't. Um, and and so even if they don't, they don't know is the point. <laughs> yeah, basically, we can't we can't say with absolute certainty. Um, and um, and in order to do that, like you know, it would take a level of uh, uh, um, kind of investing in in the the infrastructure that they're you know not willing to do. They're not able to do uh, profitably. Like, do you want your chocolate bar to cost twelve dollars? Yeah, but and then that, that's basically what they what they were saying, and it was you know it. I, I think that's the kind of lesson that a kid you know ten years later might still you know have some remnant piece of that idea. Which whereas if you you know talk about you know you can talk in the abstract about uh, about a lot of those those topics, and it's not necessarily gonna gonna stick in the in the same way. But you know just recently. Uh, that basically that issue came up uh, in front of the, the Supreme Court, um, and and you know is now you know way more widespread I guess uh, after the uh, after that happened a few months ago now. But um, but yeah, it's like like those sorts of things are you know percolating under the surface all the time. But you, it's it's about yeah finding ways to to connect uh, students with with those uh, with with things that make it make it relevant to them or, or that they can see that what they talk about in the classroom isn't just, you know, confined to a classroom, I guess. Well, some of the ISDs now and some, I think there are just a couple high schools too, in like different places and around Grand Rapids and around Muskegon too, I think, where they have like a, basically like an internship based high school experience. Mm-hmm. And it moves to like, I think either one of the schools has one semester and one is the whole year you go and you work you know not full-time but you go and you work like 20 hours a week and you do like some correspondence stuff I think for school but like you don't even come into school anymore um and it all is moving towards this idea of like you teach kids what they need to know you know you meet the, the state guidelines or whatever, but you try to teach things and frame everything in a professional setting like you need to know this because it directly corresponds to like you know, these units and measurements correspond to, you know, the tools that you're going to use if you're going to work on cars. You need to be able to know, like, if they're metric or if they're whatever, like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, like, and they'll they'll learn that way, even if it's not the same way that somebody might learn just doing their, like, two times two is four, four times four is, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the practical application stuff is definitely, you know, that, that's, um, uh, I think, hopeful uh, that, that, they can make it that that that, that can be you know uh, they can kind of get that back into the schools. You know, there was more of that uh, experiential type of stuff, the hands-on, the, the wood shop, and home economics. And yeah. it is it seems like there's starting to be a little bit of a movement to um, you know push back on just the complete destruction of those types of uh, those types of uh, aspects of edu- education. So. Um, so yeah, yeah getting messed up my middle school. We had a whole like uh, a home ec room that had like I think it had twelve, you know, oven stove combos. So we were in there making mm-hmm. tiramisu and stuff like that. Yeah, 
but it takes a you know physical investment um and yeah so th i think that's it's pretty obvious the economic reasons why a lot of that stuff went away i think there yeah there's starting to be some pushback on on getting some of that stuff back into schools and yeah but but again it's it's you know resources are are going to be a big part of the the issue yeah. with with any of that type of stuff if we're trying to you know strip down and cut costs at the same time that we're implementing these new things it's just like yeah we're you're kind of like you know tying your hands behind your back while you're while you're you know trying to put those things together yeah well i know um i talked to the principal at that school in muskegon a little bit he's uh my wife and my wife's cousin yeah his my wife's cousin is married to him yeah that's it um uh he said that they've got a partnership with I can't remember what it was, 15, 16 different companies. So they don't have to invest in all the, um, the mm -hmm. technology around those things. You know, kids will get bust over and like learn on site with the real thing, not, you know, the thing that the school bought, which is probably going to be outdated or cheap or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think those, those types of programs are, it, it's promising, I guess I would, I would say, I, I think the more that we can do with, with that kind of stuff, I mean, uh, but at, while at the same time, like finding a place for, you know, the, the, you know, connecting those things with, with traditional subjects, I think, uh, instead of just turning school to just like a training program, because I think that there's a, there's a danger there too, um, that, yeah. so, so yeah, finding well, that balance of it's been the trend it for, yeah, that's been the trend for at least the last decade or two is high school is college prep, but you know, not everybody needs to go to college. I've met some really smart people that work in construction that didn't need college to do what they did. And they've gone on to make a lot more money than I have. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it, it doesn't have to, yeah, I think, I think that well, emphasis of at the academic topics it doesn't have to be about like like I, I don't think it needs to be a dynamic of college prep versus you know real world practical application type of stuff like that doesn't need to be the dichotomy but it can be um just even if you're going to work construction like it, or you know if you're going to be a, a salesperson or you know whatever the case may be like like whatever the the job is like there's i think there's still value to like having an appreciation of of uh literature having appreciation of being able to read a book and like think about it and like understand the world differently from but you know but it's it seems like what in the push to whether we're going for the college prep track or the you know uh uh job job training track it's like we're elbowing out you know i i think a, a, a still another important aspect of education and just like you know seeing the world richly through you know through uh, you know developing empathy in kids and, and like I, I felt like that was a big yes. part of the value that social studies can can provide but it was you know kind of uh i guess i don't know frustrating is the right word but just kind of um uh, it was sad to see that like in both of those kind of philosophies, whether it was people pushing more college track, um, college prep type of a environment or people that, that wanted to see more things like woodshop or stuff like that. It was like, it, it seems like both sides of that equation could 
fall into the attitude that like, you know, literature and, and uh, history and just kind of like understanding the world doesn't necessarily fit into either one of those, uh, either one of those tracks. If you, if you go to kind of like one note into either, into either of those, those categories, I guess. So I think it just takes, it takes thinking differently about the whole big picture of what education is supposed to be. And I think that's what I think often gets missed in, in these rushes to, to go in, in one of those other directions. Okay. I'm going to ask you in a minute, why did you ultimately leave teaching? But before we get to that, I want to build up a little bit on you personally. What was your academic experience and what kind of student were you? Like, I can tell you straight up from like preschool, I knew school wasn't going to be for me. <laughs> and I gave people trouble, uh, not really bad, but like once I got to like sixth, seventh grade, I just became like, I'm here to make my teacher's life miserable. I, I was that kid. I, I, school came pretty easily to me for the, for most of my, my time. I never got like exceptional grades because I wasn't super motivated by grades, I guess, but it, it, um, it was never particularly difficult for me to, you know, get a passing, you know, to, to have a B average or whatever. So that yeah. was, um, you know, I just showed up and did my thing and, and didn't, caused too many you know ripples uh i guess was, was my general style as a as a student um but uh you just went to school I, played I, sports I, and did your thing yeah i i, I mean it, it uh yeah i wasn't super motivated by grades but i was motivated by you know uh doing well enough to to not, not be ineligible yeah. for baseball or yeah basically <laughs> that kind of stuff yeah um, but but eventually I found you know aspects of of school that I that um, I enjoyed you know beyond just you know the, doing the task I guess really the social studies and um, and uh, to a lesser extent I guess English uh, a, a bit too and and just that was I guess what I what I took to naturally but. Uh, math and science I kind of like I never had too much trouble doing the courses that I needed to do but I always knew that that was not like I, my my goal my goal for the most part with math was to to do well enough in math to not have to take any advanced math and like college like have to have to take any I, I didn't take any college math classes basically oh nice yeah I yeah. had to take I had to take one as an English major just for just for the college credit but I think it was just like a uh, you know, freshman level algebra, and I was good. I, so. I take stats. Uh, was my only college college math class, so I avoided the dreaded college algebra. <laughs> yeah, me too. English major, political science minor, a lot of creative yeah. writing classes, a lot of learning about Congress and stuff like that. But no, no thanks on the math. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was living in that uh, free tutoring center too. I would just go straight after class and immediately get my homework done in there because I was like. If I have to take this stuff home, I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was not a very organized student. I would say that like missing assignments was the main thing that dragged dragged my grade down. But uh, yeah. but I always found you know just doing the stuff, doing the work to be not particularly difficult. I guess. So, I found that a lot of the people that I worked with 
loved school and like they just never wanted to leave but um i was not that guy i was more like i'm gonna go in there and do it the way i wish somebody else would have done it uh so where are you because you don't seem totally like anti-authority or like you know i i might have a some kind of personality disorder i don't know when it comes to that but <laughs> like you seem pretty together pretty with it but not like i just love school and i wanted to keep doing it so what why teaching yeah i wasn't i definitely i definitely wouldn't say i was in that that category um but yeah I, I had a few really good teachers i felt like that um that could teach the a student just as well as they taught something to the you know c and d student um yeah. and that one teacher that just, all the all the drifter kids loved him and he would go and smoke with them at lunch <laughs> yeah i mean not, maybe not to that, quite to that cigarettes extent, but yeah, cigarettes. Go across the street. Yeah. yeah yeah so so i had a few of those teachers and i just felt like you know it was something i i knew i i never i didn't really want to be rich i didn't think that i you know i didn't think there were a whole lot of things that i could do to to become rich but uh teaching felt like something that you know oh at the time i thought you know i can have a, a comfortable middle class life doing this like it's something i could see myself doing i guess i had uh, time uh, off I in the summers decent hours yeah, during the day know, yeah not ha and i i thought of it as a low you know potentially a not particularly stressful uh profession i learned pretty quickly that that was you know uh, a a bit of a miscalculation on on my part but um unless you just wanted to yeah. slink by as a terrible teacher in a terrible school district that nobody cares well and but even that it's like yeah i because I, I mean you've seen people i'm sure that you're just like this person hates what they do and they hate these kids but they've been doing it for 25 years with no intention of leaving soon like i don't yeah. know how they can do it they hate the kids they go into the teacher's lounge and they're just like oh they say i've got to do this differentiated lesson plan this kid's not stupid. He just doesn't care. Why should I care? Like, why are you talking like this about the kids? Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think the, the, the I, I think I got out of it in some ways because I could see myself becoming that kind of a per Like if I was there for, if I was, if I was still teaching in 20 years, that's the kind of person I felt myself like becoming. I think it, it does that to you in some, in some. That miserly uh, teacher cases. that just looks at everybody with contempt. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, it's, it's, sad but it's like you know i i think that there's experiences that are leading those those teachers to to being that way you know and it yeah. it uh i can sympathize with it in a, in a sense but at the same time like i was i dreaded the thought of becoming that so um yeah. so yeah i i started to think you know i started to look for different options basically and i was good enough to you know find a track out of there but um but yeah it's i i think i understand what drives people to that kind of a mindset i guess is what i guess that's what, how i would describe it yeah i i ultimately got out i think i probably would have anyway i got out just because i kept having kids you know you know i've got four <laughs> kids and that fourth yeah. one came around man i'll tell you what the when the yeah we had like just had a third kid no my wife just got pregnant right at the beginning of my first year with like an actual job um and by the time we, that kid was born, we were like, I was waking up at four o'clock in the morning going through all of my slides because I would always have like a slide presentation so that kids had the audio, me saying it, the visual, maybe throw in a YouTube clip or something like that just to kind of like engage. Mm -hmm. Every day I tried to do something like that. 
but so I would wake up at like four in the morning, four in the morning to five, just making sure all the visual stuff was ready to go that I kind of had in my head so that I didn't have to read everything. 5.30, wake up the kids up, feed them breakfast, get them dressed, blah, 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 out the door at 6 o'clock with them, 6.15 if we're running a little late, get them to daycare, come back to school, try to get everything ready to go as the kids are walking in the room, and then like that first class period, you're just like, <sighs> yeah, I know before that the day has even sure. started, yeah. And so then I was like, okay, with a fourth kid, man, fuck, I can't do that. I can't do that. And we started looking at it on paper too. We would have been putting, yeah, four kids in, in after school care, care, two kids in all day daycare, two in just after school. And it was like my entire paycheck. So we're like, yeah. well, doesn't make sense. I'm just going to yeah. stay home, start writing that novel and do a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, it was a similar thing for me. I mean, I'm, I'm teaching economics, you know, I have to be able to understand a cost benefit analysis. Yeah. And I'm looking at if I, if I stayed in teaching, I was my provisional teaching certificate was about to expire. So I either had to renew it. Um, or it, what you're supposed to do is, is by that time, have your professional uh, qualify for your professional teaching certificate. And all right. I needed, I had the classroom experience to apply for, professional, for people that but, don't know you can get credits by going to classes sometimes you can do online things to get credits a lot of the pds they'll say like don't forget your you know to sign up for these credits on your whatever your michigan i can't remember what the online catalog is that you're supposed to use to keep track of all your stuff but mm -hmm. but yeah all yeah. these different things are different ways that you can achieve that next certification anyway and, keep and going. I, I would have needed to declare a major in a master's program and and start taking master's classes again. I I had taken a few master's level classes but hadn't had to declare my major, but you have to be you basically have to have declared a major at that time was, was one of the requirements to um to obtain the professional certification. And I'm just looking at it and like I was going to need to uh you know, pay for all these classes out of pocket. And then uh -huh. in your professional certification would put at my school that gave you a, a different step on your step calendar. Uh, for So, it, you know, it entailed a slight bonus, but it was like, I did the math. It was going to take basically my career of that additional, you know, bonus to pay back what I was paying for in the, you know, few master's classes that I needed to take to actually be. It was like, I... I every I, I was not particularly impressed with any of the teachers uh, education math classes I had taken at that point, and I just didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like it was worth it, and I didn't feel like it was what I wanted to spend my summer doing. So I spent my summer looking for a, a different job instead, and ended up lucking into uh, a, a pretty pretty nice gig. So. Um, yeah. And the job that you do now, without getting too specific, if you don't want to, <clears throat> it, it involves talking to people, doing presentations and things like that, which seems like perfectly suited for what you've been trained to do. Yeah, a few, uh, a few other people that had uh, joined the team that I'm on um, had come from classroom teaching before. So it was like they were, it's very similar skill set. I think just about any high school teacher that that i knew that was you know could handle a classroom could could do what i do i'm you know basically running you know hour-long seminars for people on uh different you know financial uh, topics basically 
Um, and so it's very similar to what I was doing before, but just the level of support, the level of um, infrastructure around, you know, putting together that one hour that, I, that I'm presenting to people it's just night and day from, from a classroom. It's, it's like, yeah. you know, I actually, I don't feel I, I, I can stand in front, of, you know, at the beginning of that, of that hour seminar and be confident and comfortable and, you know, and, and not, you know, a ball of stress like I was, you know, a minute before first hour started as a, as a teacher. So um, yeah. And it's, it's just, it's striking to me that just the, the, in the professional world, like, like, you know, thinking back to things that I felt like were normal when I was teaching, you know, where I could, you know, I'm, I've, I've got a horrible sore throat and feel like crap and you know, can't, can't come into school today. Um, and then I text, you know, text the, the office administrator to, um, you know, take the day off. And then that 10 minutes of like, just horror at, hoping that you don't get the response that actually we're out of subs you have to come in today because that did happen sometimes like it yeah. was and and just um yeah just the, the in the i felt bad leaving my class even if i shouldn't have come in like when they're like hey we're gonna send you to grand valley for this pd for the day i was like no nothing's gonna happen when i'm gone and i have a schedule that i'm trying to keep god damn it and you're, yeah and you're just constantly made to feel you know guilty about not being you know everything to everybody and it just it you get it, back and like that sub was an asshole <laughs> yeah it, it just the expectations and everything around it were it, it, in my my job it's just it's so much more um it, it's sustainable it feels like you know i don't feel like i'm losing ground on my you know sanity and mental health on that day-to-day basis what i did when i was teaching so because yeah, your boss um, yeah, isn't beholden to the parents of all the people that you talk to all day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a, a part of it too. We don't. I mean, it's the it's the Karen the Karen mentality, you know. And it's we're incentivizing the absolute worst behavior because those are the people that are going to get, you know, what they want out of it. And don't have shame about acting like that. And if you're just trying to, you know. Uh, reach a goal you know if it's just a transaction to you then then yeah like why wouldn't you be just the, the most nightmare parent to yeah. every teacher that you possibly can because yeah. you know and that is a real thing too i i don't want to underscore that like especially in the suburban schools and the private schools probably too um the the parent bullying of teachers that that does oh, yeah. happen all the time oh, i had yeah. a parent and- down in front of me one time at a parent teacher conference and I was chewing gum just because it was a long day. I'd had a lot of coffee and I didn't want like my all day coffee breath just seeping across the table at people. So I put in a stick of gum and this guy sits down with his wife. He looks at me and he goes, spit that gum out. Where do you think you are right now? And I was just like, what? Yeah. And so I said something which he didn't like and he went and told the principal. <laughs> I said, I said, you want me to spit my gum out? And he goes, yeah. I said, all right, give me your hand. <laughs> And he stood up and walked away and his wife was like, I'm so sorry about that. See, I, I wouldn't have had the, I had the guts to, to uh, shoot back like that. So I would just, you know, but that's like I said, uh, I, I was a born smart ass dude. Like I can't help myself sometimes. I, I yeah. felt myself in that moment going like, don't say it, dude, don't say it. 
but I was like, if I don't say this, I'm going to have no respect for myself. Yeah. Well, and that's what it, that's what it gets. Yeah. It feels, it, it just gets, you have more and more of those, those incidents. And it's like, yeah, it's like, how do I, how do I respect myself doing this? Like, you know, yeah. that, that, that's kind of where, where I was at. So. <laughs> uh, the one question I never thought I would get in an interview too, which I don't know if anybody ever asked you this, but the principal said <laughs> in front of like the, a, a group of board members too, like you're not a bad looking guy i'm like uh <laughs> your shirt off are you? um said, no, no 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 uh but we had uh, an incident a couple of years ago where um one of the parents was attracted to one of the teachers something came of it and it made it a very difficult situation for everybody and mm. i was just like yeah no i'm married and i'm pretty into my wife uh We've got a pretty good exclusive thing going right now. And they're like, okay, good. We just wanted to make sure. Did you ever yeah, get weird, weird, weird off the wall questions like that? Uh, well, I, I had to interview with my, uh, I had an interview with my previous uh, high school principal um, was this, was a superintendent uh, conducting an, an interview. Um, when I, one of my job searches. So that was, that was pretty awkward. Um, but, uh, but yeah, nothing like that. <laughs> nothing like what you ran into i guess i wasn't i wasn't cute enough yeah <laughs> uh, um yeah man well shit i don't know what's the what's the worst thing you've ever been called i think for me one one kid oh this is another thing where i shouldn't have said something but i did a kid said you know i said hey go to the principal's office because he had like gotten up and thrown a desk when he got up and he was all mad about it and he said fuck you you bald ass bitch and i was just like <laughs> go to the principal's office and he was like i'm gonna go down there call my dad and he's gonna come beat you up and i said if your dad comes here to beat me up he's gonna walk away with a limp and i said it in front of the whole class and they all went ooh, <laughs> and he all like slumped away and went to the office and then after that class the principal comes up he's like hey man did you uh tell that kid you're gonna beat up his dad and i was like I mean, context, no, but like long story short, kind of. And he, I explained it to him and he's like, all right, well, you can't do that. And I was like, am I in trouble? He's like, no, this was, this was at the, this was at the, the school, then the, the charter school, the inner city charter school. And uh, they're like, no, the, if it was at the suburban school, yeah, I would have gotten in trouble. <laughs> yeah. But he was like, no, but you can't talk like that. But I'll tell you what, that kid after that day, cause that kid was like, just a badass kid. He'd been kicked out of just about every school he could have gone to. He had a weird respect for me after that. Huh. It was it was bizarre. Like, and at the end of the year, the teacher was like, "Hey, remember when you told that one kid you were going to beat up his dad? That kid would like go through a brick wall for you now." I was like, "I don't know. I don't know." <laughs> well, for me, it was uh, I, some somebody decided one day that they thought that I looked like a professional wrestler. Um, <laughs> named the, the Miz and uh, and decided to make that a thing. So like the rest of the week, it was, it was a, a black girl that had decided that I looked I was a dead ringer for the Miz. And so for like the rest of that week, all of her fr her friends, like girls that I didn't even know who they were, would just yeah. like randomly like poke their head in the bathroom and then just start laughing and run away. <laughs> and that was that was about as as uh, owned as I've ever been as a teacher. I think. 
<laughs> yeah, that's pretty... <laughs> that. Well, you know, and when I when I had my head shaved completely, like I was doing razor for a little while too. I had one kid who was pretty big for an eighth grader. He was like as big as me. We're, we're just in the hallway because they said, you know, be in the hallway, make sure nobody gets in a, you know, whatever. Um, and he just walks by me and he goes, hey, mister. And then he goes, Michael Jordan, and just palms my entire head. And I was just like, <laughs> what? what's happening right now? The ball thing, I mean, that gives them mileage for days, I feel like. Oh, yeah. But that's the nice thing is I don't, I don't get, uh, if it's somebody I know starts roasting me, I might get upset be like, you really think that, man? But if it's a stranger or especially a kid, man, like I, I just see those kids as kids and they say like, fuck you, man. I'm just like, that's almost kind of cute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I never let myself get too, too, um, uh, too, uh, personally offended by anything that was said to me from that. Yeah. From, yeah. from a kid, I, was, I guess. And some leather shoes that like had a, like one of the seams was starting to come out, like the string was just kind of coming out a little bit. And they're like, hey, whose garbage did you take those out of? I was like, I don't know. They fit, though. I don't care. As long as you don't, like, show them, like, hey. Yeah. Yeah. Then it doesn't get any worse anyway. But, yeah, they'll yeah. they'll pile on. Did you ever have those stress nightmares where, like, you just couldn't get control of your classroom no matter what? Um, I mean, not really. I, I would just have the... I, I just, my, my nightmares were just like, uh, not, not being prepared. I think not having a lesson oh, ready to go. I I've had that before too, where it's like, I open up my thing and it's just like blank or there's nothing there. Or I try to open the computer and it's broken. I'm just like, ah, but for me, it was more, I think I was always more worried about management. Just like, cause I mean, if those kids, and here's the thing for all you kids that are listening, if you wanted to organize a mutiny, it would be super easy. You know, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. if you just don't listen, if you all agree not to listen to the teacher, there's literally nothing they can do about it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> I, you definitely realize that being on the other end of, the, of that, that equation, that, like, I was way more compliant in school than I ever needed to be, I think, you know? Yeah. Well, if you've got a good veteran teacher, they can just give you a look that's like, I can end everything for you right now and it's like you know they can't but it's like at the same time you're like all right i'm just not gonna go there with this guy right now yeah i had a teacher in particular mr swan he talked very slowly he had a deep voice and if he said your name in just such a way you just kind of like were like oh shit and it's not like he yelled at people or got people in big trouble but he was just like chris and I would be like, oh, shit. I got, sorry, sorry. And I don't know why that worked, but for some reason, like, just that, Chris. Like, I don't know, Most never yelled. Rapport with you, you know? Yeah, he was another one of those teachers, too, that would, like, he would sit the kids that were kind of, like, shitty kids, you know, looking at, like, you know, if you're looking at a class roster, I don't mean any kids are shitty, but <laughs> he would take those kids and he would sit them, right next to his desk because his desk was in the back corner. We'd watch a lot of videos. It was, you know, social studies class. And so you would just be right next to him anytime he wasn't directly talking. So he would get to know you a little bit. And that was kind of his way to like, you know, he's like, I'm not just going to let you coast here. And I'm going to also talk to you like a person, but I'm going to ask you that you give me some fucking respect sometimes. So he had a good balance that way. 
Yeah, un unfortunately, I, I, I met, I, I definitely met teachers who had those kind of like sixth sense types of uh, personalities and they just like knew how to, you know, they just had natural inclination, I feel like for managing the, the classroom in that way. And, and yeah, it, I, I think it's probably something that comes with, you know, years of experience too, but I just, it was, it was a daunting task to, to try to get to get to that point um and and definitely at my the stage that i was at i was i had not yet developed a, a lot of those those types of skills i mean i it, you pick up a repertoire uh, over time but yeah it's looking back like that was definitely one of the things i, I feel like that's a, a pretty essential skill for for staying in it for you know the long haul for you know 25 30 year career um you definitely have to have that kind of a, a mentality and, and be able to have that type of a rapport with, with the kids, I think. Yeah. <sighs> well, shoot. I keep feeling like there was something else I wanted to say, and I'm sure I'll remember it later and I'll text you and be like, dude, this is what I wanted to tell you. <laughs> okay. But if I can think of it later, I'll just call you and put you on speakerphone and ask you. But um, okay. yeah, man, what the... Anything else you want to say? Words to words to the kids, words to the teachers. Anybody thinking of becoming a teacher? I, I'd say if you're thinking of becoming a teacher, I definitely don't want to discourage anybody from from that. Um, but it's uh, uh, I don't think anybody gets into teaching thinking that they're going to become rich. But I, I think uh, <laughs> just the it it used to provide a lot more solidly middle class uh, uh, lifestyle than than I think it does today um so yeah. that's something to be be aware of uh, i knew a lot of teachers that worked in the summer or had like a one or two day a week part-time job yeah i mean i i think you really i i think people that are going into it today um that's got to kind of be their expectation i think and i i wish i was a little bit more prepared for that that reality um and i would say the biggest thing i wish i knew was that you know, it, you really have to love working with the kids every day, which yeah. you know, I definitely got, got some value out of that. I did, uh, you know, I, I liked it. Um, but I didn't have that. Like, I, I recognized pretty early on that I didn't have that kind of, you know, gene for just being, having my cup filled every day, just by working with, with young people, you know, it was like, I, I, I thought that, this being one of the few ways that I could work with, you know, work every day and, and, you know, continue being a lifelong learner of, you know, history and economics and, and that kind of thing, things, topics that I felt really, really interesting. I thought that would sustain me a lot more than it, than it would, because like you, you eventually realize it's like, you know, you're, you're not in, in a high school classroom, you're not able to get into the, interesting sides of a lot of that stuff to a level that is going to satisfy you as a you know a adult and and yeah. somebody who's been thinking about th these things for you know for a long time or that like it that that can't be the thing that you you think is gonna um sustain you the whole time so um but it is it is it can be a really rewarding rewarding um thing to do still but i think it needs to be the right kind of a situation for for somebody you need to have the right type of personality and you also just need to have uh, a financial situation where where it's gonna you know work for you and i, I 
because I think, you know, being the main breadwinner for like being the main breadwinner uh, and, and being a teacher is, is going to be, you know, a difficult situation, I guess I, w- I would say. Unless you put in years, get a master's degree and get hired into a college factory where, again, you're going to be working with a group of people where things are largely transactional. You might have bully parents. And even if you had all that information to give, it's like, do we need to know this for the test? Then we don't care, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I... It doesn't always have to be that grim either because there were... I, I look back on teaching as kind of a thing where it's like, I'm really glad I did that. And if my situation hadn't changed with my family to, cause I always thought that I would be like a one or two kid guy. And then we had four, <laughs> Yeah. but you know, like I could easily see myself still being in teaching if I only had two kids for sure, especially now mm-hmm. that they're both, you know, one's almost in high school and one's in college, but um, yeah, it just, uh, you have to think about your life plans too, because if you want to have a big family, like teaching might not <laughs> might not work out for you or you're going to have to think about like you know marrying for money. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a difficult it's a difficult uh, yeah. dynamic there. But but yeah, I agree. It, it I definitely um it's a I wouldn't trade my, you know, experience for for much of anything, but um but yeah, it's it's uh it takes a particular uh, situation to, to make it work, I guess. And this, this was definitely one of the things that I wanted to ask you. I remembered it just now was, um, from teaching the one thing that I can take from that, like very definitively and put into words is that I learned how little people actually listen to you when you speak. (laughs) And it's not even an intentional thing. Like people in a conversation one-on-one, like, outside of a podcast type setting, cause this is kind mm-hmm. of intense, like, well, not intense, but like you feel very engaged, mm-hmm. you know, but like just in regular conversation when maybe you've got your phone out and like you're talking to somebody, I always just assume now that people only hear about 50% of what I say. And then I'll try to, if I think it's important, get some kind of like recognition of understanding that you heard what I said, whether it be like, Hey man, did you hear what I said? Or like, Oh shoot. What did I just tell you? I can't remember what I told you. You know, like, if I if I have any incl- idea that somebody's not listening, because those students, man, you can have them all eyes locked on you, say something mm-hmm. to them, and then go, "What did I just say?" And half of them will go, "Uh." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's real. Um, <laughs> I know that you were probably hoping for something more profound, people, but that's. <laughs> Yeah, no, they say you have to say something seven times before it uh, actually sinks in, so. Yeah, yeah, I've heard all those things. Seven times or something like that. Yeah, and if you do, so for a little while I tried doing like I think 32 like quick answer questions because there was something about the number 32 with if somebody repetitiously does something 32 times, then it becomes like instinctive. But yeah, those were boring assignments, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a pretty meandering conversation. We touched on a lot of different things, but I uh, think you have fun there. Yeah, we mostly stayed on topic too, so that was good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, um, I'm gonna go ahead and say bye, Drew. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. <laughs>
All right. Thanks again to Andrew Smith. Drew, you're the man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, everyone else who's listening, has been listening, has rated and reviewed the podcast, and has recommended it to a friend. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. I'll see you next time. Mwah. <laughs>